You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Lord God, open our eyes that we may see uh, wonderful things in your word. Um, Lord, I ask that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we get started, I wanted to know, um, I, I will say first that this, like I said, it's been a series, and many thanks to Leslie for coming up with the series and for all the women that have participated. This is the sixth one, and I encourage you to go back. Every one of these has been so good. I encourage you to go back, if you haven't heard them, to go back and listen. Um, but uh, before we get started, so we have Bathsheba today. I didn't know if y'all had seen this um, article in the Washington Post recently. And if you don't mind, I just want to read this. It's really intriguing to me. Uh, a little less than a year ago, a young DC newlywed was happy and full of hope for the future. This well-connected young woman whose grandfather and father are presidential advisors and whose husband was part of the president's inner circle had a bright and secure future ahead of her. Her military officer husband was well-respected well as he was known for his upstanding character and his loyalty to the nation and to the president. Now everything has changed. It all started less than a year ago when this 21-year-old military wife was summoned to the White House alone for a one-to-one -one private meeting with the President. Sources report that she quickly and quietly left and shortly thereafter the President summoned her husband from an active military operation in the Ukraine to provide a support. Our sources say the officer was offered a suite at the Ritz-Carlton to spend a few days with his wife but the officer refused to be distracted during wartime. Tragically, it would have been the last time he could have seen his wife. Indeed, he had not seen her at all in the last year. Shortly after his stay at Fort Myer, he was dispatched to the front lines, and in an apparent miscommunication, he lost his cover and was killed in action. His wife was then brought to the White House and in a private ceremony, married to the president. In addition to the loss of her husband and a hasty marriage to the commander-in-chief, she lost her first son shortly after childbirth. All of this calamity, her husband's death, a forced marriage into a dysfunctional family, and the death of her firstborn has come to her door without her bidding and through no fault of her own. So this story, is true basically. Um, at least the key events uh, actually happened several millennia ago in Jerusalem. I'm just putting it in our context so that we can see what that must have seemed like for Bathsheba. As we know, um, as we know, David's sin did not affect him alone. Sin never does. It affects others who are not complicit, um, those that you might look at and say are unloved, unlucky, and unlikely. 
But Bathsheba is a woman of the promise. So this quote that Leslie, and I do want to thank again Leslie for putting all of this together. She's been very helpful all, all the way from beginning to end. Um, but this is from um, Worthy, celebrating the value of women. When God first proclaimed the gospel, he promised deliverance through the offspring of the woman. The deliverer will come through her. This promise teaches us to watch the woman as the storyline unfolds so that we see the Redeemer when he arrives. Looking for, noticing, and celebrating women in the storyline of the Bible is climbing the ladder of careful Bible interpretation, seeing the rungs that the author put in place, and stepping in accordingly. <coughs> it's so important that we read this story the way God wants us to read it and that we understand it as he wants us to understand it. So I think we can learn three things and I hope this is what I can get across this morning. The first thing is what is the truth? What really happened in the story of David and Bathsheba? And to encourage us to really read scripture and to get our information directly from scripture, not from our culture's interpretation. The second is the nature of sin and its effect beyond the sinner. The whole thing is what's wrong with it if it doesn't hurt anybody, it hurts somebody. It hurts you and it hurts other people. Um, third, redemption. And then also, what does Zadok the priest have to do with this? <laughs> All right, so let's look at lots and lots of artists have had um, uh, their hand at, uh-oh. Oh, I was gonna read this first. That's right, hold on. There we go. All right, so here's the passage. The passage is in 2 Samuel 11, um, one through five at first, but I'm gonna go a little further. So I'll just read this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one, late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. I'm going to go a little further. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to the house. 
when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and, drunk, and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with his servants, uh, uh, with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And skipping down. So the messengers went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. <clears throat> and your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. So that is God's word and what is said. Um, like I was saying earlier, there are, there are several artists, both in movies and paint, who have had you know, uh, their thoughts about Bathsheba. And um, so you can see this first one, the movie that we have, David and Bathsheba with Gregory Peck and Susan Hayward from 1951. Um, there were hundreds of paintings of Bathsheba, but these were the only ones somewhat decent enough for me to put up here. But you know, even when she has clothes on, she's red. She's got red uh, dresses on, and she she's painted like she's a seductress. Um, in fact, there uh, was a um, something from a book called "Created to Be His Helpmate" that I'd like to read. Um, it's called "I Am My Brother's Keeper." And this is in line with what our, how our culture sees Bathsheba and how our Christian culture sees, can't, could see Bathsheba. I am my brother's keeper. It says, because Bathsheba was indiscreet, she caused great calamity, resulting in the bloodshed and suffering of many. Her lack of discretion cost her husband his life, his comrades in arms their lives, her baby son his life, and the integrity of one whom God upheld as a man after his own heart. By simply doing what she thought she had a right to do, she was complicit in bringing ruin on an entire family line, including rape, incest, rebellion, and murder. David should have been with his men, but he was not out looking for a woman. She provided the opportunity for him to lust by her lack of discretion in where she chose to bathe. Her beautiful body won out in a contest between his flesh and his love for God. Generations have associated the name of Bathsheba with a wicked woman. 
and yet she was the wife of a fine military man. All she lacked was modesty and discretion. Too often in life, many tragedies would never have taken place if only. So, in, uh, <laughs> as my husband, who hails from Bird Eye, Alabama, would say, I'm, I'm fixing to disabuse you of this idea, <laughs> which <laughs> is also, I'm going to correct the record. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's, let's look at some of these myths. Um, the first one is that she was bathing on the roof. All right, if you look, if you've got your Bibles, it never says that she was bathing on the roof. It says that David was on the roof. And archaeological evidence, it's hard to see that, but that circle is David's palace, and it is some 50 feet higher, that roof is, than anything else in Jerusalem. So he had the vantage point to look down. So he was on the roof, and he was looking down. Um, also, it, it, when it was talked about Uriah, that he was going down to his house because it was down, okay, so it's below. Also, um, she was, it says she was purifying herself, which is called the mitzvah. I didn't write, I didn't write down the exact word, mitzvah, something, okay. And um, that was a communal bath that is more like the one on the left. So people didn't have their own baths in their houses. They had these that they would go into. So it was a communal bath. And normally, according to the law, she should do this in the afternoon or evening, which she was doing, which sounds like she was a very faithful Jew. She's following the law. And it, it, on the right, that's kind of how it would look. It's almost like a baptismal, but on the left is probably the way that it was. So you could probably see in there. And um, so David knew where that was, and he asked, you know, who is that? It, it's maybe because he could only see a shadow of her, or maybe because he's just you know, trying to ha uh, have some cover over, he probably knew who Bathsheba was. Um, but she was not on the roof. I'm not sure that she was naked. I mean, she might have been, but it doesn't say in the, in the text that she was naked. Uh, it says she was bathing and that she was beautiful, so we may make that jump that she was. And then the timing, she was exactly where she should have been. He was not where he was supposed to be. Um, so that, that's myth number one. She was not bathing on the roof. The second one is that uh, she trapped him. That is what the 1951 Bathsheba with Susan Hayward and Gregory Peck, um, if, as soon as I, I got this, uh, um, I knew that I was going to be teaching on Bathsheba. Drew and I looked this up, and we suffered her through that movie. <laughs> we watched it. And oh, I was going, what? Are you kidding me? And the only thing I think that was true to scripture was their names. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I, I will just say she returned to her home. If she was trapping him, do you think she would have left? Would she have gone back to her home? So I think that 
I don't know why that they come up with that one. How much higher was he? Fifty so he feet. Well, I don't know how much higher. I know it was 50 feet higher than any of the other buildings, so it's pretty high. Yeah. Um, myth number three, that she knew why she was summoned. I, I don't agree with that either. I, I think, okay, so it says that she was, um, he sent messengers. If my husband had been at war for a year, and the king sent messengers. We know it's more than one. It could, it's at least two, who knows how many. But if two or more police officers came to my door and said, the governor needs to see you, and Drew is away at war, I would think he died, and he's gonna tell me. And so she's already anxious, she's already vulnerable, and he takes her in this very vulnerable situation. So I, don't think she knew why she was summoned. Myth number four, that she committed adultery. Um, again, it says David took her, and he was king. There is a strong power imbalance in this relationship. What, what's she gonna say, no? She's not thinking he's, gonna, he's taking her for this. Um, we don't know what happened in that room but we do know, um, or we know in the end what happened, but we don't know what the conversation was like, what, but I, I would suspect there's this power imbalance and it's been called a power rape, sort of like statutory rape, where someone can't, an uh, 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 adolescent, a minor cannot commit, cannot say she's going to have sex in it, it's considered statutory rape. Um, and the fifth myth, myth is that she was one of the bad girls of the Bible. I don't see that either. She was faithful to the ceremonial law. She, pure, she was purifying herself in line with the Mosaic law prior to and then even after David. And most importantly, she was not confronted by Nathan. She was not. But she did show courage, and I think those words when she said, sent message, so he sent for her, she sent back to him, and she said, I am pregnant. And I have this quote, um, is not the triumphant cry of a woman who knows she bears the probable heir to the throne. They are the plain speaking of a woman who has been raped and discarded and who wishes most courageously to make clear to her rapist the consequences of his act. Um, what also I think is overlooked in certainly the thing I just read was verse 26. Um, and if, if Gil was teaching this class, he would know exactly who painted this painting. I just think it was a beautiful, depiction of what it was like for her. It says, um, when she heard the wife of Uriah, again, the narrator wants to say, she was the wife of Uriah, not David, um, that Uriah, her husband, was dead. She lamented over her husband. And um, the Hebrew, when I read commentaries, it said the Hebrew is means wails with loud cries. 
she was heartbroken. Um, and I think the wife, being called the wife of Uriah implies her continued fidelity to her husband. And then the narrator comes in and has this kind of arresting statement, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It did not say what David and Bathsheba had done. It said what David had done. So we can see God wants us to know that Bathsheba went through what a lot of women, unfortunately, maybe 25% have been through in our culture's time. And it's heartbreaking. It's, it, it, um, but he wants us to know that she did too and that he was with her. Um, the second point is the nature of sin and the consequences of sin. So remember, she's the granddaughter the daughter and the wife of David's closest advisors and friends. And he knew this. I mean, shouldn't that have pricked his conscience just a little bit? But <clears throat> it didn't. It should, it should have restrained his lust, but it didn't. Um, he had this elaborate attempt to cover up his act by bringing Uriah back. And he just kept going further and further into it. And he's just blind. This is one of her, his mighty men whose wife he took. And then he ordered him killed. That's, we have a power rape and then we have a power murder. Um, and from David's failure, this, so how sin, David's sin affected him. On the left, this is um, before this incident with Bathsheba before he took her and then after beginning with him remaining in the palace I'm sure that just like everything else it just didn't come out of the blue that he took her there was probably um, those sins in his mind that were going on he'd probably seen her before he was probably attracted to her and who knows what the progression was but from that time David was never the same um, and it was the same, it, it was, it broke Bathsheba's heart too. Um, and then there was all, I mean, there's a whole class and you've probably heard classes of what happened to David when, after all this, what happened to his family and to the nation. It just concentric circles going out further and further from this sin. Um, we didn't read it, but he even wanted to confront, to, to comfort Joab of all people. Um, so I want to read this just because it's so powerful. Um, do we have, yeah. Um, in 2 Samuel. So David thinks that everything is um, tied up and fine right now, and he has even tried to comfort Joab. But the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had, a very, had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite and the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He clearly repented, uh, but the consequences could not be removed. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I just need to look at a definition of some really basic words in, in um, our faith. And so sin, coming from um, the New City Catechism, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. So his sin, his lust, his selfishness, his greed, um, he, he broke at least over half the uh, Ten Commandments. Um, and he lost his moral courage and the clarity of judgment. He did nothing when his uh, son raped Tamar, um, which caused the warring and the ultimate death of his two sons. And I'll just say that the only way that Nathan was able to get to David was because David had this justice mindset, but he was blind to what he was doing. And so when he put it in the context of the little ewe lamb, which a ewe lamb is a female lamb that is still nursing. Innocence. Innocence. And um, when he put it in that context, he could see a sin. But before that, he, he would have been defensive. So it's really brilliant the way God sent Nathan. So the question I guess we have now is, um, the third point is redemption. Is, is there redemption? Um, and we don't know a whole lot about Bathsheba. Um, we, scripture, from what I can tell, doesn't really record her sins. There's not many that are that way, but she was a sinner, of course she was. Um, but she suffered the horizontal consequences, um, and that, that came from Chad Bird. He said, horizontal consequences of sin, which I just, I love that. Um, she lost her son, she lost her husband who loved her. She had to go into this dysfunctional family. 
Um, but then after David's repentance and forgiveness for his sin, um, David and Bathsheba had another son, and that was Solomon. And the narrator, like I said earlier, made that striking statement that he, the Lord, loved him. Um, the son of Bathsheba, not the son of his other wives, uh, was divinely appointed by God to be king after David and part of his ongoing Davidic line. And also, her life was not over. This is not the all that we heard from, um, from Bath about Bathsheba. Um, the, in 1 Kings, David is old, he's dying, and um, one of his sons, Adonijah, has declared himself to be king because he was the next in line, his other brothers had died. Um, but Solomon, uh, David had said that Solomon was going to be king, and, but he was out of it. <laughs> So Nathan, who is the prophet who we trust, he goes to Bathsheba as his advisor. And he says, uh, he warns her, he says, look, he said he's gonna be king. If he's king, you and Solomon are dead because you would be rivals. So he said, can you go talk to David about this? So think about this, in all of the kingdom, she has most influence over David. Um, so she goes and she talks to David, and you can read it, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting narrative too. And she and Nathan kind of plan it, so then she goes to talk to David, and then he goes to uh, talk to David, and then David, I'm not gonna read all of this, but David said, call Bathsheba to me, and he says, your son is going to be king, and I love this where he says, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. Um, so that is the reason Solomon became king. Then he had the trust of, um, she had the trust of her son, and so that's, I know it's a cartoon, but <laughs> that he had a, a throne chair placed next to him for his mother Bathsheba. And then there's several places in um, the book of Proverbs, which he mostly wrote, that refer to the mother in a very positive, life-giving way. Who was his mother? It was Bathsheba. And, um, Several of the commentaries that I read said that King Lemuel, who wrote Proverbs 31, was in fact Solomon. So think about this. Who is he talking about? Her teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pours from her lips. She watches over the ways of her household and meets every need they have. Her sons and daughters arise in one accord to extol her virtues, and her husband arises to speak of her in glowing terms. There are many valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended them all. Charm can be misleading, and beauty is vain, and so quickly fades. But the virtuous woman lives in wonder, awe, and fear of the Lord. So hundreds of years later, she did not know this, 
Uh, but hundreds of years later, she is mentioned in uh, Matthew's uh, account of the gospel in uh, saying that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, just in case you forgot <laughs> what happened and who she really belonged to and what David had done. And you know, when something's been done to you, don't you, don't you want it to be acknowledged? And God acknowledges what happened to her, but he was with her. Um, and then hundreds of years after Matthew was written, I just find this fascinating. So the anthem, Zadok the Priest, I was going, Zadok the Priest, what is that? What is that about? So hundreds of years later, um, the British, since 960 um, A.D., point back to that glorious moment when Solomon was anointed king. Solomon rode in, we didn't read it, but he rode in on a donkey. Who is that a picture of? That is her son. And then he was anointed by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet. And all of these things are a picture of Christ. They all bring us back to Jesus. So Drew, I don't know that I know how to do this. So this is from the crown. Those are real pictures, and this is from the crown. It's about two minutes. Um, can you do it? Uh, I'm not sure. You're close. Here we go. There are oils and oaths, orbs and scepters, symbol upon symbol. so many lines, no clergyman or historian or lawyer could ever untangle any of it. It's crazy. The contrary, it's perfectly safe. Who wants transparency when you have magic? Who wants prose when you can have poetry? Pull away the... And what are you left with? An ordinary young woman of modesty and little imagination. And wrap her up like this, anoint her with oil, and hey, presto, you have a goddess. Y'all have to go home and listen to it. It's so moving. So here's my application to all of this. Um, first, the beginning and the end of the story is not in our lifetime. Um, Bathsheba suffered all of those consequences. She was she's not sinless. She needed a savior too, and clearly God met her. Um, King David was not a savior. 
that's we want someone to be a savior. It's not King David. Um, the other thing is that we need to read, study, and inwardly digest God's word. God allowed Bathsheba to be part of this story to, with the reminder of what was done to her. But I want to say there's something about this. You know, I don't know what you think about the monarchy in, in England, but C.S. Lewis was talking about how the, the Americans kind of poo-poo it. And he said, uh, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead. For their spiritual nature, they will deny if food, it food and gobble poison. So in closing, what do we want? What is it that we want? We want a truth teller. The, your truth is not working. We want the truth, and that's the prophet. We want to be cleansed from our sin. That is what virtue signaling is all about. We need a priest, and we want a king. Jesus Christ was a true prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he speaks truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. A priest, he atones for our sin. There is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus. And he is, from Revelation 19:16. he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And our hope that we can rest on, I can get to it, is, and this reminds me, this is what the picture of that coronation is. Um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen and amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 